Hey guys, welcome back to Heal and Heal uh, with Lainey and Kim. Super excited to record today. It's a Saturday. We're recording uh, kind of on a whim. I was driving home and Kim was being absolutely manic, having all kinds of crazy ideas. So we decided to get on the podcast to let off some of that steam. How are you doing, Kim? Uh, not too bad, other than, uh, you know, getting yelled at for <laughs> for having too many ideas, but it's fine. So Kim and her fiance Evan are what we call ideas people. They have a lot of ideas <laughs> and there's a lot of commitments going on. And um, sometimes we need to think about what the most effective use of our time is, right? Yeah. Yeah. Mm-hmm. <laughs> you are talking right now the way that I first talked when you guys were like, well, let's consider sisters healing. Like, let's consider fixing it. <laughs> You're like, yep, yep, maybe. <laughs> right, right, maybe someday. Maybe someday. Maybe. Um, uh, but we, we have, like, a bunch of different topics that we could talk about, um, and we were talking about that before we started recording, but I wanted to bring up my hair. <laughs> <laughs> because, so, okay. we were supposed to record this week, but we didn't have any time, and on Monday I got my hair done uh, for the first time. I had it dyed, which I've never done. And I made a post on Instagram kind of talking about that and talking about the fact that people care so much about things that they can relate to. So this sport that we do in this world is super unrelatable. Everything about it is unrelatable. Even the way that we live with our dogs is often unrelatable. Um, And people feel like they can't, like your loved ones might feel like they can't talk to you about it because the barrier to entry of knowledge is so high in their mind that they might have just gotten frustrated and stopped talking to you, or maybe they didn't care to learn it in the first place. But I think that that can segue really nicely into what we wanted to talk about this week, which is basically the journey of training itself and how hard it is and how long and how it never really stops. Um, And that's something that isn't unique to IGP, but certainly shows up a lot in dog sports and I think plays into some of that frustration where I'm like why does everyone care that I dyed my hair but they don't care about you know 10 months of working healing like they just don't (laughs) so I don't know we can kind of jump off from there when you sent me the voice memo that this was your idea you mentioned uh people wanting the finished product but it really is about the journey and constantly picking at something and constantly going back to basics so right now me and you are both doing that you with um dice's healing with vocalization and then also with fronts and then i'm doing it with healing as well so i don't know if you want to just take off running yeah no i think like where my thought kind of baseline thought where my head was is that i feel like i see a lot of people um that like the idea of a well-trained dog, and I see this both in sport and my pet clients as well, um, but they don't intrinsically necessarily enjoy the journey. Um, And so either they fall off or they do a half-finished product, but then they kind of get a little bit frustrated with that. Um, And they try to cut corners and end up being less efficient and being less successful than if they had kind of just put in the foundational work from the front. and kind of done it that right way like it's always going to be work but it's kind of that irony right that the people that 
want to jump to the finish line are the ones that are going to have the longest journey to it, right? Like even the the problems we're kind of fixing, like we created in the first place by getting a little bit rushed. Um, and then I think the other thing, like somewhat separate topic, but related is that people don't realize that everything is a perishable skill. Um, and so they don't realize that maintenance is a component. Like I hadn't done motions honestly in probably like two months with dice like not since the trial because i've been hammering so hard on other stuff and he like completely forgot it um <laughs> and i was like okay like just go back and help right like he's just like the fuck <laughs> i guess it was so out of pattern of what we were doing um and he's still a young dog like he's he doesn't have um you know he's a little bit airheaded you know like he doesn't have the depth of experience to just like come back to that stuff like if you learned a language in college or uh, or high school, um, you're gonna have to go back and kind of study hard if you want to go visit that foreign country and get back to that competency. And I think people just kind of expect their dog. Like you hear a lot of people say, like, "Oh, but he knows this," and it's like, "Well, he doesn't know it today," <laughs> you know. Um, and like, how are you gonna solve that? And it, it like you might correct the dog, you might just help the dog, but like you have to train through that. Um, and I think sometimes people hit that wall and just get frustrated. Um, so again, like a couple of those thoughts where you just kind of have these expectations of our dogs that stem from not wanting to really truly take the training journey, but just kind of wanting to skip to that finished product, um, and kind of that can cause a lot of trouble. I think what's really funny about your dice example, and I think that this is, it's not true of all male dogs, but, like, certainly dice. Like, if you think about a very open dog that's just, like, slamming himself into everything, <laughs> just, like, trying stuff out. Like, it's not that he's dumb, but, like, there are dogs that it sticks way more. And it's not because it's better training. So, like, an example that comes to my mind is Sister being a female dog who is a thinker. Like, she remembered the hold. You know what I mean? I only taught yeah. it a couple of times and then she remembered it after that. Like, but then it didn't generalize to the training room as well, right? But <laughs> right, right. Like, I think there are certain dogs that things will stick. And I think that I think that can be part of the reason why a lot of people get really frustrated with some dogs that they have is because those dogs are just not the dogs that it sticks as well. Like some, yeah, some dogs I, are stickier, I think, with behaviors in general, especially ones that they really enjoy. Yes, and I don't disagree, but, like, I would still argue that that's not necessarily even a personality trait of the dog in that moment. Like, Dice had been compelled into healing with quite a bit of negative reinforcement. Um, and, like, there, you know, there that was... Um, the scale was balanced so so heavily in that direction that like oh, yeah, of course he sure. doesn't want to do motions you know so right. like with sister like had I taken him out and outside of healing done sit down stand like he'll hit him you know right. um but once I put it back into that behavior chain when I've waited one piece of that chain super super heavily for a long time and have not reinforced the other parts of that chain um like it's gonna fall apart and again like I think that's what people don't take the time to step back and think about they're just like oh why isn't my dog doing that you know like I'm not saying you're, you're wrong to like think of dog personality traits um in that setting because for sure I'm sure it has some bearing but like it's probably one percent right and like most people if they did have that issue I think they might use that as an excuse you know you oh, kind of see sure. that a lot like oh he's just stubborn oh he's just and like to me Boy, that's Brian. a red flag oftentimes <laughs> right right and like that's such a red flag because like yes 
my dog spaces out sometimes, but like, that's a training issue on my part, right? Like that's not necessarily a personality trait of his because he's shown me that he's capable of being motivated um, in the right way. And so at that moment, I have not motivated him properly, you know? Well, I think Um, we're kind of talking in circles because I guess what I'm getting at is there are dogs that are more forgiving of your training failures because by nature they will just remember things better and they just are, I understand what I'm saying just don't space out as bad or whatever like I'm not saying yeah yeah you know what I mean they're just more forgiving of those issues like or not issues but like they're more forgiving of that kind right. of stuff and they're, the they're lack easier of balance, to train yeah. and who really comes to mind is a girl that I interviewed back on the Sweet for Certain podcast um who has two border collies and their father and son and she's like it's been really hard for me to bond with his son because I really loved how anticipatory he was how you could show him something you know, a couple of times and then three weeks later, ask him to do it. And he does it perfectly immediately because mm-hmm. he's a thinker. Um, but then the son had the power more and because he will right. just slam himself into things. And so, you know what I mean? It's like, I think that that's where people can get really frustrated. Like, yes, obviously you can overcome that with training. Like Dice has his title, like, but it's more just like, right. I think it's styles of dog. And I think that people that really like female dogs in general, I think would be more frustrated by that kind of stuff like I think people do call it boy brain for a reason the boys are slamming into things often like the really nice boy (laughs) dogs so yeah yeah and I think that's why I love fidget right is she kind of does have the best of both worlds like she'll fucking body slam the shit out of like she'll go through a brick wall you know right right. like she's just stupid bull in a china shop um but also she's very very much a thinking dog like extremely smart obnoxiously so like I accidentally created a superstitious uh, behavior in the basic position, like with one repetition, you know, yep. she's like, Oh, yep. that's part of the chain uh, or not a superstitious behavior, just like incorrect part of the chain. Um, and uh, I was like, Oh, <laughs> like that's, that's the difference between her and dice. Um, but like both very high drive, you know, kind of bullheaded dogs that way. Um, and I like, I think that's an interesting intersection of discussion, right? Because I think, what I'm getting at is that we just have to be really careful about using, analyzing the dog. So I like the saying, um, you're allowed to analyze, but not judge. And usually that pertains to like self analysis, right? Is, is you can say like, oh, I didn't do a good job today, but you can't beat yourself up about that. You can just sit back and be like, okay, if I'm rating myself on a one to 10 scale of productivity today with a three, not right. ideal, we'll fix it tomorrow. Right. But like, if you if you are stay ignorant to that information, that's also an issue. And I think with dogs' personalities, we sometimes analyze them, but then use that as an excuse, right? Oh, so absolutely. like people people that um, say there's like some some characteristic about their dog that prevents them from healing in a certain way, and it's like no, that's patently untrue. Um, but then other people like let's say uh well we were talking about like and actually there was a post recently on Facebook I forget exactly where I saw it but or Instagram or something but um that the uh length of upper arm and and the the structure of the front of the German Shepherd is getting unbalanced because it allows them to open um that like fancy peeling right when their head is up they can move in that kind of flashy prancy way but it's actually technically incorrect confirmation for the dog 
Um, and so like that is an actual limiting factor. Like it is a physically limiting factor, but like your dog, you know, wrapping and foraging, that's a training issue. That's not like a characteristic issue or like not being able to keep his head up and focus in healing. Like that's a training and engagement issue, you know, and, and you see people kind of, um, lump those things into the same category um and you know again it's that fine line between like what is an explanation and what is an excuse and I think I err more on the side of I'm always going to look at training because that's something we can control um and so I'd rather focus there and I take into account data about the dog's personality but you know I try not to get bogged down by it you know right I always get super nervous about that because I hate when people make excuses in my professional work. So, yes. And, you know, they're like, well, that's the way it was. So that's what happened. I'm like, okay, how can we change the way it was? So, like, I always get petrified about that when I'm talking to you and Sam, like, when we're working <laughs> something. Because I'm like, oh, they better not think I'm making an excuse right now because I'm not trying to make an excuse. I'm trying to, like, tease it apart. But, yeah, it's, but it's no, hard. It's hard. It is. And it can totally come off that way. I noticed it at seminars a lot. Um, Like that person Mm -hmm. is getting a snapshot of your training and they don't know the journey there. They don't know the history. Like they don't know your dog. And so you see a lot of people struggle to take coaching in that moment, especially in that scenario. Like coaching at club is also oftentimes, you know, you see the same thing, but not so dramatic um, because they're like, no, you're, you're wrong. (laughs) You're only seeing this tiny piece, but it's like, no, they're not wrong. Like your dog does heal in this incorrect manner. Um, and at a certain point it kind of doesn't matter how you got there. Um, like if we get into that discussion, you know, like, let's say that person says, Hey, try this and it doesn't work. And you're like, Oh, that might not have worked because I had this conflicting factor before. Like, maybe let's consider that and come up with something else. Like, but it's really hard. You see a lot of people do that right away and not even try what that person's saying. And it becomes mm-hmm. this kind of really tense situation. And it's like, hey, now you should probably stay a little bit open-minded. Maybe when you tried it, you tried it incorrectly. Like you can't say that you tried it without trying it in front of that person because it's a different, you know, there's always a different flavor on that. You know, like if you tried healing with the ball under the armpit, you're like, oh, it didn't work. But this person's like, no, but he's not even focusing on the ball. Here, try this. And then shows you how to get the dog to focus on the ball. And then you feel it under the armpit. Now our healing's good. Um, you know, like you have to be open to that rather than just squashing it right away. And again, that's kind of that, that excuse making that causes you to, to stagnate in your training. So I had a really painful moment in college um, where a friend of mine, her best friends from home were visiting and one of the best friends you know might have had some extra stuff going on at home or like who knows but she just was really difficult the whole weekend like didn't want to do what the group was doing just always wanted to leave or go do something you know what I mean just kind of like Mm -hmm. not having the best time and I got super frustrated when we were out one night and I looked at her after she was like I want to leave blah 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 and I said why did you come here right Like, not trying to be evil, but, you know, me and I can come off super rude. (laughs) 
So that didn't go well, me saying that. But what it reminds me of is, like, in seminars sometimes, like, I've been to quite a few seminars for not being involved in this very long. (laughs) There's the audience is wanting to ask, why did you come here? Because they are going to pick apart your training. And like you were saying, like, at a certain point, it doesn't matter. It doesn't matter the dog's history. It doesn't matter that, you know, the dog used to be afraid of the sky and it's amazing now that the dog is outside. Like, no one cares about (laughs) that. We're trying to move forward, so... Right. I don't know, it just reminded me of that story. And yeah, now I'm all no, traumatized thinking about how badly that went that night, me saying that. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, right? But I mean, maybe that person also needed that, like, I'm not sure exactly how badly it went, right? But, like, sometimes at a seminar, like, people need that wake-up call where it's like, hey, you spent money on this. You're paying me for my opinion, and you don't want to take it. And I guess, right. like, if you don't want to take it, I'll take your money, but it's just... It's a really weird thing to see that because it's like, why are you even here? This this spot could have been, you know, better better uh, utilized by somebody else, you know. And it's just, it can get kind of frustrating to see that. Um, and I understand how difficult it is, but you know, that's one of the personal growth components where it's like, hey, you gotta you gotta self reflect and learn how to take that coaching because it's nothing personal. Right. Um, like again, you you literally asked for it. <laughs> um, no, you actually asked for it, like fully. <laughs> right, right, right. And again, and like that me. seminar person is not judging you; they're analyzing, and you need to understand right. that. Um. So it reminds me of after the confirmation trial, uh, we got the chance to hang out with that judge on Sunday. Mm-hmm. And when you left the room, you were showing her a bunch of your dogs from your breeding program, and like basically asking her, like, "Hey, critique my animals, like." I'd love your help with future pairings, like improving structure. And when you left the room and you were like switching out dogs or whatever, I was talking to her and she's like, you don't understand because you're new to this. You don't understand how rare this is (laughs) that somebody will ask for your opinion and then actually take it with grace and like (laughs) hear what you're saying. She was like, I almost didn't want to come do this today because I didn't know if she was going to be one of those that just doesn't listen to you. Right, right. But I think that's also why it's so important, right? Because the next person that asks for help, if you, because it is something as a coach too, like standing on the other side of that line, you do get really sensitive about it or uh, sensitive to it, right? Because you start to see the look on that coach's face and you're like, oh, I can see them shutting down, you know, and I can see how obnoxious this is for them because they shouldn't have to navigate that and you're kind of ruining it for the next person right like we talk a lot about you know and this is an interesting topic to dive into we talk a lot about how people already in the sport push away new people mm-hmm. um but people in the sport have ruined coaches for new people you know like there's oh, for okay. sure some jerks in the sport but like after enough time like I used to look at you know the people that were in the sport 35 years and they would be all grouchy and be like, oh, nobody appreciates me and like just bitching. And I always was like, oh, it's so stupid. Like you should, you should like this. You should enjoy it. Um, you know, like why, why are you here if you don't enjoy it? But it's like you get caught on this weird sense of obligation, but you get so fucking burnt out from these people that take your information, leave, never come back. And then like I had we had one person who like showed up watch club took a couple lessons for me and then I see that like pops up on Facebook that she's now doing lessons for Schutzen and I'm like um you've been in offering the sport them. for literally offering literally them. two minutes offering lessons that wasn't yeah yeah sorry sorry <laughs> yeah sorry yeah offering offering lessons 
for money, taking people's money, you know, saying that she knows about Shitson. And it's like just the lack of respect for experience and for that knowledge and the process. Like back to that, you know, the first part, like you see people make all these excuses and like, again, just not respect the process. It can get really frustrating. Um, And again, I didn't understand that until I was kind of standing on the other side after enough time. But I think it's interesting to flip it on its head. Um, When you see people complaining about, you know, not being welcome, like, what is the personal responsibility that you bear for not having been welcomed? Are you actually adding value? Are you actually contributing? Um, And if you're not, that's not the other person's fault. That's your fault, you know? And like, we kind of touched on this Um, Well, we talked about accessibility, but, you know, it's a topic that I think comes up a lot in culture with the sport, um, because again, it does require people and, you know, we kind of already went over that, but I think a lot of times people really overlook that. Your attitude is affecting, you know, not only yourself and it's impeding your own journey, but it's also potentially impeding other people's because you're, (laughs) you're burning these people out and they didn't, they didn't, they're not getting paid to get argued with, they're getting paid to give their opinion you know and like the, the social contract is that you should take that and do what you want with it it doesn't mean you have to implement it but take it with grace and then figure out what you want to do with that information right and we had talked about that in the context of um we had somebody out who was saying something about blinds that was unfamiliar to some club members and our point was basically like your dog is not going to remember this forever like just try it do it that day and if you hate it yep. don't do it again but Yep. You know, there's no point in standing around arguing with the person and saying their method's not going to work, but then not trying it. <laughs> it's kind exactly. of like, well, how do you know it's not going to work? So Exactly, exactly. Like, on what evidence are you basing? And back to that thing of, like, you may have tried it in a certain way, but there's a thousand ways to interpret a certain method, and you're looking at this person's interpretation in this moment for this dog. Try it. If your dog is ruined from one fucking training session... I'm sorry, you got bigger fish to fry. Right, right. Like, one different reward placement is not going to kill it. So, you know, again, like, what do you have to lose? So we strayed a little bit away from the original question, but I want to pull us back because... Yes. What really brought this into my mind this week, too, is a club member um, who's working super hard right now with her dog. Um, But when she comes out to work obedience sometimes we have to have a whole other conversation about like pet type stuff or, you know, mindset type stuff and things like that. And when I was talking to her, she's like, it's really hard because it's not even one step forward, two steps back. It's actually, you try to take one step forward and you, all you can see is the 16 other directions that you should be taking a step forward also. So I think that that's part of the whole, like the training journey never ends and you just have to make peace with that is like it can be so frustrating to be like look at this progress we made in this area and the people watching you are like you have many other areas (laughs) right right now like you have many other issues because sometimes you want to just feel like you finished something you got something done you want your front to be finished you want you know whatever it is to just be done right Um, unfortunately that will never happen for you ever (laughs) right exactly exactly and I think like coming back to okay now jumping back to the fence of somebody who's receiving coaching and like in the trenches of the journey and not looking at it from a coach perspective um like extending some grace to that right that um it can feel super super overwhelming 
Um, and I think people get in their heads that there is a certain correct path and a correct order to do it in. Um, and like there might be an optimum or an ideal where it's 100% that's like the most efficient, you know, quote unquote, best path for you and your dog. <clears throat> but if you take one of those 16 branch plans and you go down it for a little bit and then you're like, oh, no, nope, I'm going to turn take a right back onto the path I was on. Okay. Maybe you dropped that efficiency to 99.9%, but like you learned something else, right? Like there is no correct way to do it. But I think people have that misconception where they're like, ah, I fucked it up. It's like, no, you didn't. Um, you just took a little bit of a, you know, a detour, but you're still, you know, maybe you picked up a, I don't know, like you saw a site on that, on that road that made you think of something else or, or whatever. Like I heard someone say once that um, about investing, that like you're going to have failed investments and like, especially in respect to entrepreneurship, you're going to have failed ventures. Um, and he called it tuition. Like you're just paying tuition, right? Like you have to pay for that education. Education is not free. Um, and like, that's all part of the process. And again, I think it's uncomfortable to realize that you might have to pay that tuition because it hurts. Like it is painful to expend energy, time, money, resources. Um, but once you have that education, you're not going to make the same mistake again, or you're going to make at least more educated decisions and the mistakes you make, you're going to be able to correct quicker. Right. Hmm. I think um, I've heard that once before maybe, but I don't know. I've probably said it before, but I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> but who knows? Um, there was something though you said right before okay what was I saying before you said bring it back to the topic um oh, I, was I, talking about... I was focused on bringing you back to the topic <laughs> okay because I was like I had a thought to also circle back to the original topic um of like enjoying the process and now kind of forget what it was that's okay well, I mean, it's also really hard. Maybe this is this could have been where you're going, maybe. But it's also really hard sometimes to enjoy the process when you have outside timelines and things like that. So something that yeah. comes to mind is like when you've had a someone else's breeding dog that you're trying to title to be breed worthy or one of your own dogs or whatever the yeah. case. Like that makes it really hard to, or really easy to get in the mindset of just get it done and get out. Um and so yeah. I'm sure those setbacks are even extra frustrating when you actually have a real timeline beyond the one that you've created in your head. Yeah, no, that's very true. Definitely the times that I've, you know, stress uh, ruins your ability to think creatively. Um, the times where I've struggled the most are times where I put pressure on myself for timelines. And again, it's that irony that if you let yourself just enjoy the journey and do it right, like, that is the most efficient route. And ironically, I've taken shortcuts on dogs with timelines and I've been up, I've, I've ended up worse. Like Dice is a really good example. <clears throat> I probably didn't start training him in earnest until six to eight months old. It's like he's had legitimately before he got titled, he legitimately had, let's say a year and a half of training on him, like a year of that being really serious once he was an adult. Um, and my other IPO ones that I've kind of like done to get done on some breeding females or boarding trains, I had those dogs for a year, um, and it was passable. Like it was decent work, but nowhere near as good as the work I put on dice. And it's just like, I literally got it done in the same amount of time, you know, again, like six months longer, maybe, but he was still a baby at that point. Like these other dogs I got as adults, 
Um, so, you know, call it basically the same amount of time, but with a much better finished product for the dog that I was just enjoying the process with, you know? Um, and again, kind of that idea that I think people think it's possible to just get to that finished product. Um, but you have to detach yourself and just be like, no, I'm just going to work it, work the process one step at a time. Like there's another saying, how do you eat an elephant one step at, or uh, one bite at a time? Like that's how you train a dog in IGP or in any sport. Um, and you can't just, you know, again, you see a lot of new handlers just jump straight to the finished picture. They're working on a retrieve and they're like, just going to stick the dumbbell in the dog's mouth or I'm just going to throw it. Like even worse, I'm just going to throw the dumbbell and see what happens without having trained it at all before. And it's like, ah, you know, um, the idea of successive approximations got completely shot in the ass there. But when you're taking your time, you are taking the time to make those appropriate successive approximations and make it good. And if you step the dog um, slowly up it, they, they climb that ladder perfectly fine. But if you make those rungs too far apart, they might fall at some point, got to catch another rung, and now they're, they're back to having to climb it again. But, you know, it's not that slow, steady progress that you get if you're just, yeah, kind of giving yourself over to the, to the process. Well, we're recording with Amanda tomorrow, and that was the biggest takeaway from the seminar that we had this fall, which was basically we had a bunch of people in the club with really young puppies that had gotten, like, literally too far in their training. Like, yeah, just stupid far, because then there's nothing you can even work on to any efficacy, and they're, like, too old to... Like you just get stuck if, if you do what we did, which is just have too many young dogs going too far too fast. And then now we're bringing them all into the training room and trying to do food sessions and bring them down and, you know, stuff like that. So, or work, right, work more with them really, on the and things. Right. Like it was just unbalanced training because, you know, you get so short-sighted on the behavior itself and don't work on those foundational kind of mindset skills and drive capping and channeling and all that sort of stuff but I mean I don't know it's just hard because it's like that is what's enjoyable with these guys is working with these guys so thinking about the way I want to raise the next young dog it's like oh I want to leave him up you know and not do what I did and all that stuff but then it's like well what does that look like then (laughs) like what's what is living with them look like like what is that gonna seem like and I mean, I guess you have the older dog to be able to, like, put your effort into, but I don't know. I need to watch more of Amanda's puppy sessions is what it comes down to. But, like, also, how do you do those every day for, like, six months? (laughs) So I think it's more about balance, right? Is like, I think, um, you know, we tend to, and this is not necessarily a wrong way to do it because you definitely see successful people doing this as well. But I think it's also easier for new people to go wrong in this because, um Okay, so like if you train, so like the difference, um, what we were doing is we were saying, I am going to teach a new behavior and I'm going to make it from start to finish and then put it away and then start the next one. So just like A, B, C, D, E, you know, sits, then downs, then stands, then healing, then fronts, right? And like, okay, there's your BH behaviors. Now I'm done. Now I'm ready. Now I can move on to retrieves. Whereas what Amanda showed us was more so, okay, teach your puppy to go to a box, teach it to run around a cone, teach it to you know, look at a, um, you know, a send out uh, kind of idea, teach it to 
push into your hand with luring and like teach it some of that healing teach it to you know sit down stand but like there's also these other things to work on just play with it with a toy right like just fuck around with it a little bit um food toss all that good stuff and there really is a lot of stuff you can do but we just kind of shut our minds to it because we're so hyper focused on that one thing um and i think one of the reasons that so like Croyer does one thing at a time and finishes it but it's also in his older dogs that he tends to do that like if you watch his puppy raising series he's also doing a lot of different behaviors that are focusing on fundamental skills um it's not even igp specific it's just like you know teaching your puppy two ball teaching your puppy how to spin you know all that stuff like it's just really really basic and i think where people go wrong with baby puppies with drilling one thing too much is a now you're creating a puppy that's for instance got such a strong default behavior that when you try to teach it something new and it frustrates it pops into heel position and it's like okay but i need you to like you know frustrate by going around a blind or or whatever Um, like that's not the best example but basically you know if you apply any sort of pressure to that dog be it like mental mentally created through frustration or physical pressure through tools Um, you're going to get a default behavior that's so sticky that it's going to be difficult to teach anything else. Mm. And secondly, I think um, if new handlers drill on something so much, if you have club once a week, you're going to have done 14 to 21 sessions of potentially the wrong thing. Yeah, And that's a lot harder to reel back in um, than it is if you've done three sessions of this, five sessions of that, one session of this, right? Like, it's a lot easier. Me. To kind of go slow and steady. I'm tagging myself. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. (laughs) And, like, had you gone slow and steady on the healing, we would have caught some of those issues potentially a little bit sooner, right? Like, that that one episode we talked about, you know, how I kind of was just like, oh, Melina's doing this now. I guess this is what we're doing. And I kind (laughs) of let you show up with that because you're driving so hard with it. And, again, I should have stopped you and been like, no, 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 there's, like, a million other things to work on um but you know by the time sissy was six seven months old she was pretty glued into some bad habits and again now we're, we're going back to fix them right and they're not catastrophic they're a point here or there but again preventable mistakes um had we kind of taken a little bit more of that you know journey oriented perspective so i was out walking with the dogs today um basically over field and stream i was just like traversing <laughs> um the land it was wonderful and i was taking a bunch of pictures of the dogs and lately i figured out that if i point at something and tell her hup even if i'm really far away from it she'll go get on it which is very yeah. exciting i don't know why <laughs> she does that but she will um and so today i told her that on a very like pointy rock that she was gonna have to like perch on and it wasn't going to be comfortable at all because I've been trying to do more where she's frustrated but she can find success Mm. so it's hard enough that she can get frustrated but it's easy enough that after getting frustrated she can find success fairly quickly if that makes sense I've been trying to do more of that um and so I was telling her it and so if you had to guess what default behavior she slipped into what would be like your top three guesses? Like, you know, the dog, like, what would she try to do? So like, obviously healing. Right. So you would think healing first and then barking second. No, I would say probably barking first and then healing, but yeah, top two. Okay. So I would have thought those also, she 
was downing all over the rock. Oh. Like, he was going up to the rock and downing next to it, and then like going a little <laughs> to the other side of the rock and downing. And I was like, "Why do you yeah. love the down? This is so exciting!" Because I thought well, that you do that frustrate and immediately go to barking or healing. Well, you do that like how many times during fetch, right? Right, but she's far away from me, Kim. She's never even yeah. done a down far, far away from that me at all. Like, I was <laughs> so shocked. Yeah, that I was surprising. shocked by that. So. Yeah, yeah. That's my yeah, little story, just to say, you know, even if you've kind of screwed yourself and the dog has super sticky <laughs> behaviors, they might still uh, <laughs> surprise you now and then. But <laughs> Well, I think that, you know, that's the other thing, though, too, is, like, skills are perishable, and that's, you know, sounds like a bad thing, but it's also good, right? Yeah. Like, pathways are always able to be rewired to a certain extent and like strengthened and, and diminished and so you've basically been doing some work lately to make the healing less sticky mm-hmm. um and like there you go <laughs> you know like maybe a month ago she would have just been like huh ah, and just went to <laughs> healing right or just barked or whatever but now she's we've kind of taught her to think a little bit more and she's maybe displaying that a little bit more in real life. Maybe a total fluke. <laughs> maybe that's all <laughs> bullshit. But, you know, maybe our training works. Uh, I think it's all bullshit, but maybe. <laughs> <laughs> the whole thing is all bullshit. Yeah. Mm. But yeah, out walking with those guys, I was like, wow, there's literally nothing better than walking with German Shepherds off leash. Like, it's so I don't true. care what kind of dog you have. I'm telling you, it's not better than walking with these guys. It's awesome. It's so true. They're so pretty against the snow, so graceful, and they just stay with you. Don't have to teach a recall. It's so funny to me that you think the dogs are graceful. You said that about <laughs> Dice, too, who is objectively an 80-pound bull and has no grace to him whatsoever. <laughs> okay, have you ever seen that dog fall, though? I mean, come on. Like, he always lands on his feet. He can She's jump like- up on, like, a from a standstill, jump, like, you know onto a fallen tree at her property yeah, that's physical like ability is not great though like what? like okay, oh, athletic. Look, go over the jump he's so graceful i'm like i just he don't like he, he's moving in the over something but he's moving with literally no grace at all uh, lies lies he's moving like a huge boy dog because he is but whatever dijon is not graceful dice is graceful Dice is not graceful. He just has longer hair. (laughs) Uh, Okay, fine. His hair makes him look graceful because it blows in the wind. There you go. Okay, wait. I'm pulling us back. So I think where we can can go next, because we were talking about with the puppies and and the sessions and stuff. Yeah. I want to pull up that thread from the Facebook group. Yeah. Um, about- oh, wait, wait, hang on, because I know what you're going to, to say next. I have one more comment on the, oh, yeah. um, on, let's see, I wrote this down, um, breed test versus sport. I was going to say this at some point. Um, oh, with the analyze and not judge with the dogs. Um, oh, okay. That I think one thing that also is an uphill battle for people in doing that is that you will hear people talk about their their dog's traits because we need to know that for breeding like again we need to analyze that for breeding um and i think like this is an interesting thing of like psa versus igp culture people in the psa culture and i'm not that deep into it but even like listening to bradshaw's podcast he acknowledges genetics for like two seconds and then he's like but this is how you train it um and, like, even with some, like, nervous behaviors where I think an IGP would be, like, ah, fuck it, like, dog's trash. 
um, and not really try that hard because we, we believe that genetics are kind of everything um, as a culture. Like PSA, I think might do a better job of trying to work around those. Um, like if you meet that minimum threshold of having the genetics to bite and stay on under a reasonable amount of pressure, then they're going to work through more things. Whereas an IGP, it's kind of like um, we're nitpicking every little aspect of the dog. And because it originated as a breed test, that culture is obviously useful and has its place. And like, we can't lose that. Um, like, I'm not arguing that we should stop looking at it as a breed test, but I think then you have this transition to it becoming more popular as a sport and as a competitive challenge for people. Um, and they may know that they don't have the best dog for it, but they still want to do the best they can. But then people around them are going to be like, oh, but your dog has this issue. And they're like, okay, but like, now what? Um, and I think that can be a really tough balance to strike because like I sometimes have to take my breeder cap off, put my training hat back on because I'll look at even one of my dogs and I'm like, ah, that's an issue I can't fix. Like it's genetic. Don't even bother trying. Like I've talked before about how Dice has a little bit of a, you know, um, his grip moves on the sleeve a little bit. He gets a little bit hectic in his gripping. Um, and I've just like completely left it be. So I'm like, I can't fix it. Um, but then I had another trainer tell me like, no, you can get it better. Like, yeah, you can't really fix it. But um, rather than writing it off completely, like at least put some effort into it. And I think that can be a tough balance um, for new people to really understand too. And like, again, for me, I struggle with that balance is just back to that, like analyze, but don't judge. That was kind of another, another thought that popped into my head. I wonder if that's perhaps... I mean, other than the obvious reasons, I wonder if that's potentially also why you see a lot of young people right now through social media quite drawn to PSA. I wonder if it's because yeah. of that, where I would say, I mean, I don't know that many PSA people who are doing it at a high level, obviously, but I feel like with IGP, it's very much like, oh yeah, scrap that dog and buy a better one. Like, yeah, it's a lot more like that, at least in my opinion. I don't know. Yeah, no, I mean, I think that's that's pretty well true. And, you know, like not to get too deep into the like sport versus sport debate, but there are definitely different. I think PSA is probably a little bit more friendly um, towards the idea of you may not get a title, but you're still here in the training group because not many people do get to a PSA three, um, like even a PSA one, like you need two legs. It's a bit of a challenge, right? So like, for us, if you're not working towards an IGP-3, it's kind of weird, you know, whereas I think in PSA, it's a little bit more accepted that you might not be shooting for that highest level. And like even in, in Schutzen, it's kind of like, okay, if you're not training for an IGP-3 at a regional or higher level, what are you doing? Um, and again, I think that has merit because the sport definitely draws competitive people and like I personally enjoy that fact about the sport. Like I want the training to stay very correct and very technical and very high level. Um, but I think for people that are looking for a little bit of a broader spectrum, that can be a little bit of a turnoff. Um, and again, I'm kind of, I might be talking completely out of my ass, right? Cause I'm sure there's PSA clubs out there that are a little bit more, um, you know, not as open, 
to that kind of more casual uh, type of person. But um, I think, you know, speaking from the IGP perspective, perspective specifically, and this is a, a discussion that came up on the um, Facebook group as well that we created, um, you know, is kind of what, what is the, what do we do with those people, right, in IGP? Um, and back to that burnout discussion and all that good stuff. And I do wonder if that all plays into it, too. Well, I think we can talk about it more when we have Emma on, just so that we have, like, yeah. a PSA person. An actual person that knows also. what they're talking about. <laughs> well, I was getting a little triggered by that, too, just because of the send-out and, like, what Evan always says about how fake the send-out is, for example. <laughs> I will roast him on that, though. We will. We'll, we'll get back to that. We'll get back to that topic. But so for the for the listeners that don't know who Evan is, that's my fiance, and he likes to poke fun at me about like what he perceives as ridiculous parts of the sport, and kind of spoof on them. So he thinks the send out is stupid. <laughs> I mean, listen, the send out's not stupid. <laughs> the send out isn't stupid, but what I think people don't realize is how many people walk out there with absolutely no idea if the dog is going to do it or not yeah it's an often forgot about exercise i will say that yes people walk out people start to send out like 10 days before the trial like people walk out there and they have no idea what's going to happen and if they did that for the healing the retrieves like we would think they were insane but we let them do it for the send out it's true it's true that's a training problem not a send out problem though but that's where we see it manifest is the send out okay whatever i don't care. yeah people we'll don't like it it's work it's just it's repetitive work that's why anyway yeah uh well now i'm like i don't know if i want to start this whole topic that they brought up because it's kind of its own episode almost um, yeah so maybe we can t- let's talk about this other smaller one instead okay which is, um, so Ellie posted in the Facebook group, by the way, join the Facebook group, Heal and Heal podcast discussion. It's been amazing. We love it. Yeah. Um, we are creating a backlog of episodes right now. So the Facebook group will have been live for like a month by the time you guys hear this. <laughs> and you'll be like, what are you talking about? <laughs> it's fine. Um, but yeah, so Ellie brought up why are so many young women being drawn to protection sports right now? And dog sports in general. Um, And, like, for me, the easy answer to this is literally just social media making it more accessible. So, like, more people finding out about it. But a lot of people had very different answers than that. So, I don't know if you want to give your first take first or if you want me to just start going through other people's ideas. Yeah, I think um, one thing I want to say before we dive too deep into this, too, is, like, also welcome to all the young men. (laughs) in the sport like I don't I I just want to make clear like we are not created as a woman exclusive podcast Uh, obviously we're two young women that are talking um, and that's maybe not as common um, in the podcast space but like also there aren't really many dog podcast periods so like what is common and not but um, but you know like just to just to clear the air on that like if any of the guys are kind of like uh, like you're you're welcome in the Facebook group as well. It's not meant to be, um, yeah, exclusionary in that way. So, yeah, it's much briefer than Kim just said it. This is not the We Hate Men podcast, and it's not yep. the We Hate Men group. So. Oh, look at Lainey being concise and Kim being extremely wordy <laughs> and obnoxiously so. Well, I mean, Lainey aggressively loves men. Like I love men. We know. So we know. Lainey. I'm, I'm yep. extra against that idea. But. <laughs> 
I'm like, how do we get more hot guys in the sport? How do we do that? Yeah. I mean, like, I'm pretty happily engaged to a really great guy, so I'm not as actively concerned about hot young men, but, you know, go for it. Yeah, we love that for you. Congrats. That's <laughs> <laughs> uh, he doesn't do helper work, though, so, you know, some people would, would call it a failure. Kim, why why are girls flooding to IGP right now? Why is it happening? <sighs> I honestly don't have a great answer for that, I think that's totally fun let's start talking about <laughs> other people's answers yeah um so naomi a good friend of mine actually local to madison oh. uh she is, is latina and she has mild cerebral palsy as well so for her it was basically that in her youth she was able to find a community that she could actually be part of right because the dog is doing a lot of that physicality for you i mean not for you but like she says yeah. that it gave her the mentorship and guidance that she wasn't getting elsewhere in her life. Like she couldn't do sports and things like that. Um, And I think that that's probably true of a lot of young women. Cause like, if you think about the boys that can't do sports, they can do like video games or something. I don't know. But then like the girls that can't do sports, I feel like often go to the, the horses or the dogs and things like that. So that's kind of like a, like a youth fulfillment type take. Yeah, I feel like probably if I had to like nail down a reason to me, it would be that it is maybe a little bit more socially acceptable for young girls to be into animals. I think it's a it's a weird shift though for me too because like coming from a rural community um, for the last few years, like I grew up in the suburbs, but like again worked on a dairy farm for a couple of years, like it is extremely male dominated industry um with farming but even there you're seeing a lot more women get into it um and i don't know if it is the whole you know it's more acceptable for women to be seen as a caretaker and so if you're caretaking animals that's a surrogate um you know like it goes along with that idea it's not children but it's under that category and men are seen you know more to to do the whole um you know, like the societal stereotype of like you're out um, working or, you know, doing sports or you're doing kind of those like, you know, quote unquote guy things, um, more traditional male roles. But like males have traditionally been animal caretakers, like even cowboys and like that, you know, traditionally it's not like men have been barred from that industry or that role. Um, But I think the women are pushing in (laughs) Mm-hmm. um and I I think it might I don't know like I'm not sure exactly why but it might be kind of connected to that idea that it is more acceptable for for girls to you know play with stuffed animals and guys are more likely to play with Hot Wheels or whatever right like even starting there I think when you see a little girl that loves dogs or ponies it's not weird but like I like my um my old coworker's son, like, <clears throat> extremely, like, actually crazy talented with animals. And he's a kid. Like, it's shocking. Like, it, it, yeah. Like, he needs to he needs to stay working with animals because he's extremely gifted at it. But I 
get the vibe at school like not that I ever asked him about it but I get the vibe that he's a little bit withdrawn and he has friends that are girls because that's who he connects with and he doesn't play sports but his younger brother is a lot more traditionally you know he likes sports he likes fart jokes he likes you know and he's like the more outgoing kid (coughs) excuse me the more outgoing kid in a lot of ways and has friends (coughs) that I think his older brother um, kind of struggles with so I think it might be kind of starting there and just a societal norms kind of shift. Um, And then I think specifically for IGP, it used to be a little bit, um, you know, kind of the, the culture was these were personal protection dogs or police dogs or like it was much more connected to that world. It wasn't a sport at the time. Like, exclusively um like you had more cops with their actual street dogs um you know doing doing titles and you you there was like a lot more crosstalk between between those two segments of the dog world um and that's less and less of a thing like it's more siloed now mm-hmm. and so like the that kind of persona of needing a badass dog has kind of faded with that um and like that's still you know not completely right like there's we can go into a discussion about that too like it's a totally separate thing but um I think the the strict machoism that was associated with it is is definitely declining as the training gets more technical and less physical um and females are also figuring out you know how to do the bite work side without needing a helper two three times a week um and personally like I kind of prefer it now that I've kind of gotten into it like it's a lot easier for me to just do the work myself uh even on my own dogs like teaching the basics like you can teach secondary all day long with you know somebody holding a bite roll or a pillow on the ground or whatever and I don't have to see a helper entirely often um especially if you have the right dog for that like there's some factors that go into that but I think it's becoming more accessible where physical limitations potentially of having, you know, a slighter frame or a smaller size or whatever, like, you know, that's less of a factor than it used to be. So those all, all female clubs are a lot more possible now because the male helper is less of a central figure. He's not necessarily needed as much in a sense. I'm having flashbacks right now to earlier this week when you were having me hold the bite roll and whip for dice so that you guys could work healing and vocalization and stuff. And you're like, oh, are you okay with him barking at you? And I'm like, yeah, of course. Like, I don't mind. And he was barking at me. And you're like, frustrate him. And I'm like, what? (laughs) How? And you were like, you know, the things the helper do where they crack the whip and like, ah. And I'm like, well. Right. Make try. Yeah. I've never done that. <laughs> right, right. So, yeah, so it was like, but that's more of a knowledge thing, right? Like, I can totally No, it was just funny just because my mind... I was mind... like, all right, get someone else in. <laughs> no, and it was just funny because my mind, like, blanked out. Like, you were right. frustrated, and I was like, what? <laughs> what does that mean? <laughs> but, but, like, you know, we have other club, female club members that totally can step in. And, oh, um, yeah, of course. Of you course. know, like, I'm not saying girls can't do it. it. I'm just laughing. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, yeah, no, it was kind of a funny moment. But, you know, I think that's more common that, like, yeah, a couple girls can get together and do quite a bit of work. Like, not that I do a crazy amount of helper work, but even as a slightly, like, um, taller, like, I have a little bit more of a build um, to be able to handle 
a bigger dog or, you know, more weight. Um, and like, I've developed some technical skills at it. Like I can be fairly proficient at some level. Um, and like, if you can train a dog, you can train bite work, you know, like it's also, I think, um, you know, people think that you have to be able to do trial helper work in order to be able to do training helper work. And it's two very different things. And females can definitely do that. Well, there was a post, um, in the IPO training group a while back, which was basically like, it's so great to see many, so many female handlers on the podium. Like, can't wait to see female national level trial helpers. And people were like, um, probably. Yeah. And it's not because, like, we hate women. It's just, like, the reality we don't of have the, yeah. 60 dogs in a day. Like, it's just not. It's right. not that women can't do it. It's that the women that can do it are, like, going to the Olympics. <laughs> exactly. Exactly. And like, they're not interested you... in wasting all their free time learning how to catch no. dogs. <laughs> and like you know there's also very few men that can do it like it's the top two percent of men and maybe the top 0.2 percent of women so like yeah there's just going to be fewer um just because of those physical limitations but it's hard for anybody so yeah like taking even a smaller sample size good luck (laughs) and like you said they're probably doing something else that actually pays the money (laughs) so your whole point earlier about like emotional connection and like empathy and nurturing and stuff Clayton uh brought that up a group member Clayton was saying that um it's just basically like the old school yanking crank is not the way it is anymore like there is more empathy there is more like deep emotional connection but I mean again like this is kind of a hard conversation to have because you're making generalizations one of the biggest softies I've ever met in the sport (laughs) is very much a man (laughs) yes and he's an old school man, right? Like, he's older, but he is, like, the biggest softie about dogs of all time. <laughs> Almost started crying to us, like, telling a very simple story. So, <laughs> right. <laughs> um, then Krista was sharing some stuff in the group, basically, about politics and working dogs, which is pretty much worth an entire episode in its own right. right. It's basically... Um, you know, I talked in the previous episode about trying to find a breeder the way that people have just turned looking for a breeder into like a sport, like a blood sport, honestly, how obsessive they get about it. And there's a Facebook group, um, to help people find breeders that regularly will have a post like, tell me who I can get a Malwan from that isn't a, you know, Trump supporting psychomaniac or whatever, you know what I mean? Like very (laughs) much wanting a, like a liberal or you know moderate breeder to support or helper or whatever the case is right and it is interesting how the sport is being turned more liberal purely because of how many young women are joining it right like think about how many breeders you have access to now who are okay with gay people for example versus how many breeders had access to in 1994 there's a lot more yeah yeah absolutely absolutely yeah, and I think, like, we've discussed this before, too, is, like, um, how much do you talk with your money, like, who you give it to, and, like, there is definitely limited resources, so as you start making decisions like that, do you kind of cut yourself out um, of opportunities, um, and that's kind of a personal decision, right, is, like, how tightly do you hold to your morals, and where do you make sacrifices, um, like, where do you draw that line, like there's definitely you know a large gray area there like I have struggled with that with certain um certain individuals in the sport as well um about you know okay do I do I stop supporting these people do I cut interaction 
Um, you know, there are certain people like I never want to start to support. Um, but, you know, where exactly is your line of what, <clears throat> what causes you to, um, you know, kind of have to throw that baby out with the bathwater because like a certain person might have skills, but they might, um, <laughs> they might be a horrible person. Mm-hmm. Um, and like, I've, like there's evidence behind that. Like, it's not just hearsay, um, but they could be, you know, importing amazing dogs that you want the genetics of. And it's like, okay, like, do I give that person money? Like, I'm, it's just a breeding, right? But like, you are giving them money. Um, and, you know, I've personally made decisions where I've sacrificed um, certain genetics just because I'm like, I don't really want to want to breed to that dog. But I also totally understand, or, you know, breed to that dog because I don't want to give that person money. But I also totally understand the people that are like, no, like, I'm just going to like, it's no personal statement. It is literally just a business transaction. Um, you know, that's personal shit that I don't want to get involved in and kind of understand that. But yeah people would come to that same thing with working with training directors and helpers and um you know just trainers in general who do you want to give your money to (laughs) and how many options do you have I don't think you know this about me yet but like this question which is when is it a cosign that is my it's probably my most favorite topic to talk about (laughs) I'm like obsessed (laughs) with this topic because I mean you've talked about it a lot before so I guess that doesn't surprise me yeah and it's because I am so opinionated so like naturally I'm gonna have plenty of people that I disagree with so I'm constantly thinking about it like when is it a cosign what level of involvement with that person and where it really comes to mind with me lately is COVID because generally speaking I mean my parents are very radical about COVID and like do not go out anywhere (laughs) are very um you know cautious And I would say that, like, I'm on the least cautious end of the most cautious people. So, like, kind of just a, like, more middle-of-the-road person. Right. But what's been really hard for me to wrangle with this whole pandemic is, like, the fact is that people in the dog world, and I don't know if this is true of AKC sports because I stopped being involved with AKC pretty much when COVID started, but, like, people in IGP are generally speaking not wearing masks not vaccinated absolutely not interested in talking about it or being safe about it like and that's just the simple truth like it's it's not that they even care necessarily it's just that it's not part of their life for a lot of them right just not something they even consider or worry about or think about you know a lot of these people up here where we live live in a rural area which never mask mandate ever and you know there's like 300 people in town so at some point they all got COVID and now they're all over it (laughs) right right um that's been really hard for me because if I were to go along with basically you know my my parents point of view or you know frankly my politics in some ways too is like I wouldn't be interacting with these people because that's unsafe um but I've kind of found a happy medium where like we went to a training day recently with a bunch of people there and I just wore a mask anyway. And like, I didn't make anybody else wear a mask. I didn't say anything to anybody, but I just quietly wore a mask all day. Yeah. Um, and I think that that's also going to be hard for a lot of young women to deal with as they do enter the sport, because there's a lot of opportunities for you to make your ideas, somebody else's problem basically. And like, 
it's not that we shouldn't do that like so questions of human rights and things like that like that's obviously more important you know what i mean not more important but there's it's more black and white everybody has to find their own line of where where am I just going to pre- kind of pretend that I don't know that person's views? You know what I mean? Like, where right. am I just going to kind of turn an eye or uh, turn yeah. an eye? Yeah. And like my grandparents on my mom's side always said, we, you know, they were, you know, they're very old, old school. And the way it used to be was you didn't talk about politics and religion with your friends and family. Right. You didn't because it ruined relationships. Yep. Right. And we're in a very different place now. And like, is it a better place? I don't know. Right, right. That's just a lot of word vomit, but I've just been thinking about that lately. Like COVID and working dogs, I think is a super uh, relevant topic right now. Just like LGBTQ. Oh, I just learned that there's more now. There's like the letter or the number two, and I don't know. I have to look it up. But sorry, guys. Yeah. (laughs) Um, But LGBTQ plus, there's there's a lot more than just that now. It's like okay, how does the breeder feel about this and this and this and right. It's kind of a never-ending cycle because yes, you might as well just buy a dog from yourself at that point in time. But good luck finding <laughs> a stud dog to breed to. <laughs> like, exactly. So. Yeah, no, for sure. And I think, like, circling back to what you said uh, about you being a super opinionated person, so it, it comes up for you a lot. I think what's interesting is like when we started getting posts in the group about like, oh, I love to hear, you know, two young females, and I'm like, wait, what? Because <laughs> like, I. Um, so like we talked about it in the conviction episode right like I'm not I don't hold very heavily to um, opinions and definitely my most um, uh, like malleable opinions are over politics and religion honestly which is kind of funny but like I'm really open-minded when it comes to that again because I can see all sides and I think it's like way too complex to hold a strong opinion on um, which again like that's that's a whole discussion we can have too but like refer back to that episode too um but um when people started talking about oh it's two young females like that's not something I even think about I was just like oh I'm gonna do a podcast with my friends um and it'll be fun and then like seeing the response was really interesting because I it reminded me like oh yeah other people are thinking about it this way um you know potentially to the extreme point of like wanting to exclude men you know and it's like I just don't think that way. Like, like you say, like I live in a rural area, like I don't interact with a whole lot of people. Um, you know, definitely not groups at a time regularly, like outside of dog training. Um, and so COVID is just kind of something that, you know, I don't necessarily put a heck of a lot of thought into because it hasn't affected my life. Like I am a little bit sheltered where I live. Um, and because I'm, you know, self-employed and a small business owner like I can kind of shelter myself from it to a a degree like I'm not big enough to be affected by it yet um so it's interesting to think about because yeah like I think about it when it comes like I have certain like topics um that I am definitely a little bit more like oh I wouldn't want to give that person my money um but others I'm like yeah I, I don't really care yeah, and that's the point is that everyone has to find their own line. And it is funny just in the way that we are all so selfish and self-absorbed. But, like, I – so when I was in college, I used to go to the local dog park all the time with Lorelai. And I would mm-hmm. do classwork, like, at a picnic table, and she would do whatever she was going to do. Mm-hmm. And 
there was this man that would come there and he was this retired um, Wall Street guy. And huh. what he had started doing in his retirement is he offered one time like, oh, to the neighbor, I'll take your dog to the park and walk around because I'm not doing anything. I'm retired. Oh, funny. And it yeah. spawned into this whole dog sitting business <laughs> where he, he had this junker car and he would drive around and pick up like 11 dogs and take them all to the dog park and just pull up to the gate and just open the door. Like this is the South. So it you know you can do whatever you want but like (laughs) so he would just pull up to the park gate and like let them all in and I loved him and his name was Roger and it kind of became that me and Roger like hung out like all summer for like two hours a day five days a week all summer (laughs) and at one point my parents were like uh you know the like 70 year old guy that you hang out with like 10 hours a week and I just remember thinking that's Roger like I don't know I just I've never been a person that really sees age or gender that much like I was always that kid that got along with the adults like it's never really been a concern with me even last night we were out at a bar with um my good friend here in Madison his dad and all his cousins were in town and I spent all night talking to 50 year old dudes like I love I love that space for me right right yeah yeah when people start saying oh the podcast is two young women I also was like it's me and Kim. Like right, <laughs> right. Like I don't I don't hold my identity based on those kind of like um just like social markers. I hold my identity based on like value markers and what I do and what I like, you know, so I think like not that it's wrong to hold your your identity um close to those kind of things, but I think like just my personal style like when I when I think of like who am I? Like female and 27 are not the first things on the list by far right well and you know you got to think about too that me and you have responded to our life experiences and trauma differently for some people you know their experiences have made it such that they can't enjoy something that is produced by men or people that are identifying as male and you know that's super valid like we're not invalidating that we're just kind of remarking on how funny it is and the way different ways right because it caught us off guard just because we're not that way. Right. Yeah, yeah. I had no idea of your age when I met you. Like, I had no idea. And I remember yeah. talking about age one night, and I was like, oh, wow, this is really funny. Because I didn't even have a guess for anybody's age. Because I never right. thought about it. <laughs> right, right. Yeah. So. No, for sure. Oh, somebody guessed my age correctly last night. It was really sad. Really? Wait, how old are you? They always usually guess like super are super much younger than I am, and I'm like, okay, uh, but last night the guy was like, "You're 26," and I'm like, "Oh no, I am turning 26 this year. That's so sad." Okay, but like if they say you're 21, then that probably means you look like a little bit of an idiot. With peace and love to the 21 year olds, but I mean, like maybe, but like at a bar, come on, like if you're yeah, like if well, people not- think you're older than you are at a bar, that's a good thing. If people think you're younger than you are out on the streets, that's probably a good thing. <laughs> I, I like being a fool. I want to be a young fool again. Mm, yeah. I, I don't know. I was just getting emo because I was like, is the sun damage on my nose that bad? <laughs> my Have you seen the sun damage on my forehead? Yes. Uh, yeah, yeah. It's bad. I know. <laughs> Dog people and sun damage. That's the next episode topic. Yeah. It's, uh, we never wear sunscreen. Well, I don't. <laughs> but yeah, I don't. Yeah, speak for yourself. I w- I wore a visor all summer, which was good. 
Um, yeah. I don't know what I'm going to title this episode because we jumped all over the place. Uh, we did. <laughs> but yeah, I don't know. I hope you guys enjoyed that. I certainly did. And keep keep posting away in the Facebook group. I'm yeah. kind of more of a ghost in there because I don't have time. And also, it's Facebook. But <laughs> I know I've been having like, a blast in there, which has been really cool to see. Sharing vacuum yeah. recommendations. <laughs> you know that yeah, a that dog could be a whole has made too. it when someone makes a vacuum post. Like, that's how yes. you know... <laughs> That yes. a dog group has reached the a, a true community status is vacuum. Yes. yes. <laughs> but yeah. Yeah, I don't know. Do you have any other thoughts for us this week? <sighs> I don't know. Yeah, I uh, kind of can't even really remember what we talked about. To be quite honest, this is kind of all over the place. <laughs> we talked about the but, journey. Enjoy the yeah. journey, and then we talked about. Yeah. See, I enjoyed the journey of this podcast so much that I don't even remember where it started. Okay, maybe the title will be like a, a journey pun, like the band. Uh, no. <laughs> and then you uh, told everyone that PSA sucks and is a terrible sport. That, that was really no. funny. No, I think actually, I think that culture definitely has a lot of value to it. Okay, I'm glad you said that and not what I thought you were going to say because I was going to get super triggered because I put forth a while back that PSA is a better show of training and obedience. I put that mm. forward. And you did not agree. Yeah. See, I, okay, because better is too subjective for me. Um, I think they're very different and they highlight different aspects of training. Right. So I think um, PSA expresses more breadth, but IGP expresses more depth. And I think PSA is young right now and they'll develop depth. Um, but as a whole, like there are definitely trainers in PSA that have immense amounts of depth. Um, but I think PSA as a whole is just a younger sport. And you see that, um, in that it's a little bit more, and there's more to do, like there's more to be done. Whereas IGP, you can focus on, you know, a handful of exercises and drill those to perfection. Um, you know, PSA has essentially, like, to a point, right, like an infinite um, amount of things that you could train for. So I think that affects, like, the way the sport is played and the way that you approach the sport, it's definitely affected by those parameters, like it should be. Um, But I think it develops different styles of trainers. And again, like, they're both valid, but I think I would be hard-pressed to pick one as better. So anyway... What are, you, what are you working on? Episode. What are you working on at club tomorrow? Um, I think I'm going to do more secondary stuff Fun. and have someone hold a bite roll and work on um, marker discrimination and stuff like that. So, do the children yeah. get to come out and play? Actually, no. That's right. So, like, hopefully they'll be better by the time you guys hear this, but. I had a day train dog that got all of my dogs sick. Um, Really frustrating, like vomiting and diarrhea. And it has slowly run through all six of my dogs. Um, So fun. (laughs) Yeah. So I probably am actually not going to work any of them tomorrow because Dice is still not eating. Fidget's not eating. Glitch is kind of sort of starting to eat again. The girls are starting to eat again, but like not vigorously. Like they definitely don't feel good. Um, 
So, yeah, that's really frustrating. That's another episode topic, too, is husbandry. <laughs> As I'm thinking of it. but I um, think I think that the next one we record needs to be, well, after the Amanda interview, needs to be um, husbandry and, and all the facets of that and how club culture affects husbandry. Yes. And all that, and your mentor and stuff like that. I'm very excited to talk about that. Yeah, yeah, for sure. Because, like, I think, um, yeah, like, I could have just not told any of you guys and worked my dogs and gotten all your dogs sick, but that would have been kind of a shitty thing to do. Um, but you definitely yeah, kind of will do that. So, <laughs> yeah, true, it happens. <laughs> but yeah, and I'm kind of annoyed at that day train client because they knew he was sick and they didn't tell me. And I was uh-huh. like, hey, your dog's sick, and they're like. Um. Well, let's not. Anyway. Let's not come for our clients in the podcast. <laughs> you're right. You're right. It happens, but still, like COVID, right? Like, don't haven't we all learned by now? If you're sick, stay home. No, stay we home. really haven't. Like, we really haven't. Especially because right. the government refuses to pay people to stay home, so they cannot stay home. But yeah, also hey, that's shut up, like three, three podcast episodes. <laughs> Okay, okay. Uh, do you want to share socials and then, um, yeah, share socials yeah. and then we'll say, say goodbye. Yeah, let's do it. Um, I am at Daredevil Working Dogs on Instagram. Um, I was about to say that I'm running a 1K giveaway right now, but I realize that that's definitely going to be done by the time this gets uh, gets out. So just kidding. But maybe help me get to 2K and I'll do another giveaway. <laughs> um, and then uh, the Heal and Heal Facebook group is now live. Um, also, Lainey is going to yell at me for this, but I would like to put up a Patreon with actual training content because, again, this podcast is not really intended to give training advice, um, but it's something that I like to do. Um, and so I'm thinking of doing a Patreon. So if you guys would be interested in that, let me know. And then also, if you have any topic suggestions for that. So I'm not going to promise that anytime soon, but it is um in my head about something that I want to start suing on and hopefully get to within the next few months um so longer timeline on that but feel free to shoot me some ideas or um you know reactions to that if you're like yeah we'd really like to see your content or if you're like nope there's too much out there already um screw you that's totally fine too so (laughs) big ideas guy big ideas guy Cam over here (sighs) I know implementation is definitely Sam is going to kill me for letting you say that on the podcast. <laughs> yeah, she'll be okay. By the time this comes out, she'll be okay. <laughs> well, she will have gotten a good night's sleep, hopefully. <laughs> wow. Okay. <laughs> okay. Sam. All right. Thanks, guys. Uh, thanks for joining us this week, and we'll see you next week. Bye. Bye.